It's 3 a.m. on a chilly morning in early December 1933. Six orphans are asleep in the dormitory of the girls' annex of the New York City Municipal Orphanage. Annie, who is 11, is busy cleaning the floor as a punishment from Miss Hannigan, the villainous director of the orphanage. As Molly, who is only six, wakes up from a dream and calls out for her mother, Annie comforts her by reading a letter left by her own parents. Thinking about her parents inspires Annie to run away from the orphanage to search for them. Along the way, she encounters a mutt being chased by dog catchers. As she rescues him and sings, Tomorrow, she expresses the feeling that both she and the dog, which she names Sandy, have to believe that everything will be fine for them in the future. Annie spreads her enthusiasm to the residents of Hooverville, a Depression-style shanty town of jerry-built shacks under a bridge on the East River. As they offer her some stew, she tries to cheer them up by insisting that the future will be brighter for them, too. Then a policeman breaks up the crowd and returns Annie to the orphanage. Just as Miss Hannigan is threatening Annie, the private secretary of billionaire Oliver, Oliver Warbucks arrives, wanting to invite an orphan to spend Christmas at the Warbucks mansion. Annie successfully campaigns for the opportunity despite Miss Hannigan's objections and is escorted to a waiting limousine. In awe of her new surroundings at the mansion, Annie meets Oliver Warbucks, who is immediately drawn to her spunk and her personality. And through in a series of adventures and circumstances with which I'm sure many of you are familiar, accompanied by intrigue and mystery, Annie determines that her parents are no longer living. She's then adopted by the man that she loves and respects. Now, Oliver Warbucks becomes Daddy Warbucks to Annie, rescuing her from a life of poverty and misery and offering her all the benefits of wealth and love. And they live happily ever after. What's just a comic strip story, a play and a movie of dreams come true for Annie, is a reality for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. We had a hard knock life when we were living in bondage to our sinful natures. We were experiencing a living death as our sinful nature, like cruel Miss Hannigan, was making our lives as miserable as possible. There was little joy, little hope, little pleasure in our existence. Well, we would try to escape, but always we would be caught back, caught and brought back to the orphanage. It was only when God sent his son Jesus Christ as his ambassador to choose us for adoption that things started looking up. Unlike Annie, we didn't have to lobby for inclusion in God's family. We, we were freely chosen, despite the objection of our cruel master and slave driver. Christ rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and bondage 
and transferred us to the kingdom of light and freedom. I have good news for us today. Most of you know this already, but it's good to be reminded of it. We are no longer children of the devil, but we are children of the king. King's kids, as I like to call them. Romans 8, 14 through 17, tells us about our good fortune using the language of adoption to inform us of our privileges in our new family. I, I, I bet you know these verses too, but we're going to read them again. But before we do, let's pray. So Lord, we humbly come into your presence as we've already acknowledged, asking you to speak to us through your word. The power of God is in the word. Jesus was the living word. We have the written word today. So may we pay attention today. May we put aside all thoughts of the the weather and how hard it was to get here and how cold it is outside. And may we focus for just a little while and listen for your spirit to speak to us. So we ask these things thanking you in advance for what you're going to do because we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In reverence for the word of God, I'd ask you to please stand now as we read together. So instead of me reading it to you, I'm going to ask that we read this as a unison reading. So this is the word of the Lord for us today. Hear the word of the Lord. Together, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption by sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. The hallmark, I'm going to suggest one point from each verse, so if you have an outline and would like to follow along, that's fine. So the hallmark of being, being the children of God is being indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. King's kids are led by the Spirit. Now, when we're about to cross a busy street, as parents, we instinctively reach out to grab our children's hands. Some of you know what I mean, and sometimes it's the grandchildren too, isn't it? Why why would we grab their hands? Well, because they're weak and young and inexperienced, and they need guidance and protection. Attempting to cross the busy streets of life, we we realize our need for guidance and protection. As we eagerly reach out for guidance, the Spirit grabs our hands and leads us to safe and the right way. Those who are led by the Spirit are under his control. They willingly put to death the misdeeds of the body, wanting to become more and more like Jesus Christ, learning to hate sin with an increasing intensity. They naturally and willingly talk often and honestly with their Heavenly Father. They experience and display a love for brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. 
as the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives. Those who are led by the Spirit are known for their love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've talked about this several times with different speakers in recent weeks here. I hope they sound familiar to you. Those who are led by the Spirit, well, they're learning to say no to the master of sinful desires and yes to what the Spirit desires. Those who are led by the Spirit, well, they see open doors and they go right through them in obedience. They don't dwell on the past or live in regret or play the should've, could've, would've game in which no one wins. God invites his kids centered in Christ to become involved with him in a great work that he is doing. He doesn't force himself on anyone, but those who are led by the Spirit listen to his voice as he speaks through prayer, the Bible, circumstances, and the church. Then they make the necessary adjustments in their thinking to enable them to join God in his great work as they follow him day by day by day. And then as they obey and God works through them, they experience God, as Henry Blackaby put it in the past. King's kids are led by the Spirit. Are you led by the Spirit? King's kids are not slaves to fear. Verse 15. The children of God do not receive a spirit that makes them slaves to fear again. You know, there was lots of fear in the orphanage. I'm guessing. And my brother knows for sure because he adopted two two boys from Ukraine. Lots of fear. Spiritually speaking, we lived in fear of our evil masters, sin and death, who cruelly used us and abused us. We lived in fear that we would never be good enough to earn God's favor and forgiveness. No matter how hard we worked, when is enough enough? How many good deeds do we have to do? How many laws do we have to keep in our own power in order to be good enough for God? And we feared Satan too. He accused us day and night of being unworthy, no good, low down, slimy, sleazy, scumbags. Good news to you today. Fear is a thing of the past for God's king's kids who rightly understand their position and their privileges in Christ. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 declares, We need not fear death either, for Jesus conquered death on the cross. We do not need to fear evil people, evil influences, or our own evil desires, for the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is in us? The Holy Spirit, God himself. Who is in the world? Satan, our evil master of sin and evil. We don't need to fear rejection by God, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. So instead of being subjects to fear, we have received the spirit of sonship. 
We are no longer residents of the orphanage. We are residents of the mansion of God himself, the king of the universe with untold wealth and love. Way beyond what Daddy Warbucks had to offer to Annie. Formerly, we were children of the devil. Now we are adopted by the Spirit into the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, the songwriter put it so long ago. Now we can address our, our, our Father in the most intimate and personal of terms. We read about this earlier. What I'm trying to say is we're, we're now entitled to call him Abba. Well, we don't use those terms today, Abba, but, but that's what it is. It's an Aramaic expression for, for father, which carries the idea and the feelings of daddy. Daddy Warbucks? Now we have daddy God. Now some say that isn't very reverent. Well, I'll explain that in a minute. We are entitled to call him Abba. Not just sir, or mister, or your reverence, or your highness, but we can now call him daddy. Doesn't that just do something for you? He is our divine daddy. You know, in the, time, the Roman times, slaves were not, not allowed to use those words to call a free man Abba, or a free woman Ima. But we're no longer slaves to fear. We are king's kids. Are you getting the drift of what I'm trying to say here a little bit? We can approach our daddy, God, in a spirit of love and acceptance, warmth and confidence. Now, yes, we do have a holy, healthy respect for God, who is great and mighty. We have a sense and a feeling uh, of reverential awe in his presence. Of course we do. This is what the Bible means when it's talking about the word fear in a positive way in our relationship with God. Philippians 2.12 states, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is the good and the positive type of fear. But my point here today is, there's more good news. As king kids, we're not slaves again to an unhealthy type of fear, to a counterproductive type of fear, to a sinful type of fear. We are king's kids. King's kids are led by the Spirit. King's kids are not slaves to fear. Another bit of good news is found in verse 16. King's kids are assured of adoption. If Annie had any doubts about the reality of her new relationship, all she had to do was to ask Daddy Warbucks, do you really love me? Am I allowed to stay here forever? Will you ever change your mind and send me back to the orphanage? And Daddy Borbucks would gather her into his lap, put his arm around her, and assure her that he really did love her, that she could stay as long as she wanted to, and that he would never, ever send her back to the orphanage. Our daddy God assures us of our position as his children in much the same way. He gathers us into his lap, as it were. Through our spiritual ears, the spirit whispers, I love you forever. I will never change my mind. You will always be my child. I will never send you back 
to the kingdom of darkness, sin, and death. Isn't that great? That's what verse 17 is all about. The Spirit testifies to our spirits that we are King's kids. More than just a warm, fuzzy feeling, although that's nice, or an emotional high, this is a deep-seated conviction that we are adopted forever into God's family. We have a lot of good news to share today, don't we? And you know, even when we stray from God's truth, this settled belief about being one of the king's kids cannot be covered up or ignored for long. See, in times like this, the Spirit convicts us of our sins. He lets us know that what we're doing is grieving him very much. He testifies to our spirit that something is wrong. Something is wrong. We can't continue to enjoy the pleasures of sin when we are king's kids. Actually, frankly, when we do feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. When we feel guilty, it's a further confirmation that we are king's kids, not Satan's kids. We're living as though we were back in the orphanage instead of living in the mansion of our God. And the theologian to me says this, if there's no guilt when we sin, then there is no testifying to our spirits. If there's no spirit testifying to our spirits, there is no salvation. And if there's no salvation, my friends, it's because we're not king's kids. Now, it's not up to me to judge, but think of the logic of that. But the Spirit testifies to our spirits. The first time where we come to the point where we receive Christ as Lord, and then, as believers, when we grieve him, we are, he testifies to us, and that is a good thing. And once we confess our sin, he forgives our sin. He draws us back into his arms and assures us of his love like the prodigal son and lavishes that love on us. He gives us again this settled, this settled sense of peace and assurance that those who know, don't know the Spirit cannot experience or explain. I, I've heard it put this way. We just know that we know that we know. Have you heard that? We know that we know that we know. Even though sometimes we struggle to describe it in words, we know that we know. Even though our emotions fluctuate from day to day, and do they ever some days, right? We know that we know that we know. We have that quiet, calm assurance that we belong to the family of God. King's kids are led by the Spirit. King's kids are not slaves to fear. King's kids are assured of adoption. And how is that for good news? But wait, there's more. King's kids are heirs of God, verse 17. Heirs of God. Now, this has never happened to me, but I've been told when a rich uncle dies and word is given that you're in the, in the will, well, of course you're excited and you want to be there when the will is read. And, and it was like, what am I going to get? What am I going to get, you know? If the, anticipa- the anticipation builds and we find out just what we receive. Well, 
all, all uh, metaphors and comparisons fall short because God hasn't died, of course, and he never will. But the good news is we're heirs anyway. Pretty good, huh? So God doesn't have to die for us to inherit the riches. He's able to share them and remain alive, remain God himself. We have inherited God himself. I don't know any other religion that teaches that, do you? What more could we need or want? The Bible tells us we're immeasurably rich in his protection, his love, his provision, his discipline, his guidance, his grace, his mercy. Friends, think about this. He didn't adopt us into his family because he had to. He adopted us because he wanted to. He chose us to be in his family. Just like little orphan Annie, we're privileged to be chosen for great honor and riches and privilege as king's kids. We're special to our daddy God, for it cost him a great deal to be able to adopt us. Some of our songs this morning alluded to that. Through the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ on the cross, he redeems us. We once were his through creation, but then we were lost through our defection to the kingdom of darkness, to Satan's camp where sin is the rule of the day. But he bought us back. Now we're heirs of God, and the Bible says even more than that, we're co-heirs with Christ. As, As God's only son, Christ deserves to get everything, but he's willing to share it with us. Think about that. He's willing to share with us. As God's son, he deserves, but he loves us so much. He says, you are co-heirs with me. More good news. Can you, can you stand it? I mean, does this begin? I know it's hard on a winter day, and it's early in the morning, and it's hard to even show signs of life, but I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad I could share that with you. As Jesus was glorified and honored for his obedience to the Father on our behalf, we too share in his glory. We enter into communion and union with God, but I wish I could stop the sermon there, but that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be good for, that wouldn't be true to the text. Did you notice at the end of the, is it still up there? Yes, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that also we may share in his glory. Oh, no, that, what a downer. You were, do, you were doing so well. It was all good news, right? And now you're going to talk about suffering? I think, uh, well, it's time to go. Well, just give me a couple more minutes, but I want to give you something to think about. We don't suffer in order to earn or merit our salvation, but we do suffer because we're associated with, with Jesus Christ by being king's kids. Just as Jesus had to suffer and die, So king's kids are subject to suffering of one sort or another. There's a price to pay for identifying with Christ. The first century believers suffered economic and social persecution. Many were put to death. And you know, this situation hasn't changed. In fact, it's only gotten worse. I've done a little research here, and 
I learned that uh, more, uh, more, more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Now, is that alarming? More were martyred in one century than the previous 19 centuries. A recent article in the World Magazine, which by, I put a little plug in, World Magazine is a Christian alternative to Time and Newsweek and U.S. News. And I've been getting it for several years now. And it's very easy, W-O-R-L-D, World. But there's an article in just the last issue by Mindy Belts, which reports this sobering news, and I quote, the persecution index is rising. You know this is true when you see headlines of major newspapers reporting the latest Boko violence in Nigeria or Muslim mobs chasing a poor Christian family in Pakistan. But the monitoring group called Open Doors put statistics to the stories, and its 2019 watch list released on January 16th of this year, very current, very recent, confirms this troubling trend. Here it is, last year, one in nine Christians experienced ser uh, serious persecution. Now this is worldwide. One in nine, a 14% increase of, over the previous years. And Christians are enduring high levels of persecution in 73 countries, nearly half of those surveyed, end quote. As kings, we need to realize, kings, kids, that the privilege of being identified as heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus, with that comes the reality of suffering. I don't like it, but that doesn't make it go away. Even though our persecution may be more subtle and less severe, following Jesus always exacts a price. And that's what verse 17 is all about. There is no doubt that we will share in his glory, but as king kid, we will also share in his sufferings. But compared to what we gain, it's no loss at all, Paul says. We will gladly share in the sufferings of Christ to be king's kids. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul puts it into perspective when he says, our light and momentary afflictions or troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Nothing, of course, can compare to the suffering Jesus went through to gain our salvation so that our sins could be forgiven and adopted into God's family. Now, some of you might be getting an unsettled feeling you know, that may begin to creep over you, and as it does me and others that I've talked to. Uh, we, are, we are conscious conscientious believers, and, and, and really we're not suffering much, if at all, for the fact that we're Christians, right? I mean, maybe you don't get invited to a block party, or maybe somebody thinks you're weird or a little unusual, but that's nothing compared to what we're talking about here. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if, there's that little word there, it just won't go away, if we share in the sufferings in order that we may share in the glory. It looks like sufferings and glory are linked together. So the logical question surfaces, if I'm not suffering severe persecution just because I'm a believer, does that mean I will not share in his glory? I was asked this question just a few days ago as I was discussing the sermon with a trusted friend. 
if I'm not suffering severe persecution, does that mean that I will not share in Christ's glory? After prayer and research and reflection, I believe that the Lord gave me a positive answer to this question. I, I could hear almost, not audibly, but almost as though he were saying, no, you are not denied a share in my glory if you are not suffering currently severe persecution. Someday you might have to, but that's not contingent. They often go together. So then the spirit clarified a little bit more and spoke to my spirit and said, you need to, number one, be willing to suffer. Number two, be ready to suffer. And number three, be more aware and sensitive to those who are currently suffering. So I would like to share that with you today, a word that I believe I received from the Lord this week, because most of us are not suffering for Christ, to any degree close to what we read about in the Bible. Are you willing to suffer? Are you ready to suffer? Because you know, someday persecution might come, and it's already started here. But again, nothing like we read about in the Bible, but it could get that way. It could. So are you willing? Are you ready? And meanwhile, are you, are you aware of Christians around the world, one in nine, that are suffering this very day? At the end of the article I quoted earlier, and I'm wrapping it up, the suggestions are made for people in our situation. Three very practical suggestions I want to leave you with. Number one, faithfully pray for persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. There's a publication in a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. There's a ma that's a magazine of current needs and conditions. And Open, Door, Open Doors has a uh, printable prayer guide, and there are others. So pray for them. I hardly think of it, because it's not me or my family. Let's be honest. But that's the suggestion. Support missionaries and others who are standing against the persecution tide. Persecution tide. And number three is befriend and other. Now, I'm sure they made that word up. Befriend and other, a O-T-H-E-R, someone of a different religion, someone of a different uh, uh, ethnicity, uh, or so, that is different than you are, as a way to have conversations rather than confrontations. Well, I must quit for today, but the last few weeks, Joey and Jim have been focusing on the necessity and the desirability of being centered in Christ. It's a crucial focus for all believers, including those of us who identify as the Faith Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Now we prepare to enter the, uh, what we call, many of us, Lent. And this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And then we look forward to all the Holy Week things and the crucifixion and then the glorious resurrection. As King's kids then, let us realize, let us celebrate, let us operate in the sure knowledge and affirmation and conviction that we are centered in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Does anyone agree? Do I hear an amen? Okay. Lord, we just thank you for this good news. And there's a little, little hook at the end that uh, makes us pause and makes us think but Lord, may we continue to grow in our faith. 
the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'd like to close us today with the benediction that Aaron was given so many centuries ago to the children of Israel when he said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. The Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious to you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. And all God's people who agree say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.